Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Today's Friday, October 2nd. The unemployment rate is down, COVID hospitalizations are up, and we're focused on President Trump's COVID-19 diagnosis. As you've certainly heard by now, President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump have tested positive for the coronavirus. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on this developing story and its possible ramifications for the administration, for the campaign, for the markets, for healthcare, for media, with five of Axios's expert reporters. And we want to start with somebody who knows the administration itself better than almost anybody, Axios White House reporter Jonathan Swan. We're joined now by Axios White House reporter Jonathan Swan. So, Jonathan, this is the basic timeline as I understand it. Hope Hicks tests positive on Thursday morning. The president learns about that, maintains his full schedule. Late in the afternoon or early evening, Jennifer Jacobs of Bloomberg reports that Hope Hicks has tested positive. And later that evening, Trump and wife Melania both take tests and test positive. Is there something important in that timeline we're missing? And what does it all tell you about kind of internal White House operations and communication? Well, there's still some murkiness about this timeline. That's the timeline the White House is sticking to. But here are some questions. Number one, Hope Hicks was apparently symptomatic Wednesday evening and was quarantined on a flight back on Air Force One. So presumably people on Air Force One were aware of that. Then Thursday morning, they say that she had the test. And the question I have, what time did she have the test? Because Kayleigh McEnany went in and briefed the press in the White House press briefing room. Now, she's saying, Kayleigh McEnany, the White House press secretary, that she didn't know about Hope Hicks's positive test when she went and briefed the press. Well, that doesn't leave a whole lot of time if you're going to stick with their definition of mourning. And what we do know is that the president and his team knew about Hope Hicks's test before he went to a fundraiser yesterday in New Jersey. So, Why didn't they say they pulled people off that trip? Why didn't they pull the president off that trip? And how many people did they expose to the virus by them doing that? Do you think this is a case internally at the White House of hubris or is it a case of just god awful internal communications? Oh, it's absolutely driven by hubris. There is a sense in there that has been all along of being completely cavalier about this virus. I've experienced it in my own conversations with people who work on the campaign and in the White House. And frankly, there is a sort of tone of almost derision about people who are overly fastidious about social distancing and mask wearing. The culture in there is, okay, fine, we'll get tested every day. Anyone who sees the president will get tests, these rapid tests. You know, I've done them myself. I've been in to see the president twice in the last four months and I've both times, you know, got tested, rapid tests. You know, if you don't come back positive, you go in and see him. But these tests aren't infallible. And that's why the public health experts tell people to supplement them with social distancing and mask wearing. The problem in the White House is that that doesn't happen. So obviously the president isn't speaking with the press this morning, but Mark Meadows, chief of staff, did come out to the driveway of the White House to do a press gaggle. He wasn't wearing a mask after this. Does that surprise you? And I guess, does this suggest that there won't be a change in at least public posture from the White House on these issues? I was sort of, maybe I shouldn't be. Maybe it's just, I found that stunning. At this point, when you have the President of the United States and the First Lady positive for COVID, you have one of the President's closest aides, Hope Hicks, positive, potentially others, 
And by the way, potentially others who are testing negative now, but they're in the incubation period, it's unfathomable to me. To me, there's no rational explanation for it. Do I think their behavior is going to change? I have no earthly idea. I mean, if this doesn't change it, I don't know what. Final question for you. There have obviously been lots of questions about the president's health over four years about what is disclosed, what isn't, you know, the trip to Walter Reed, et cetera. As somebody who covers this White House, given what we now know that the president's tested positive, do you trust going forward that we will get accurate medical information, not just about the president, but others within the administration? Oh, absolutely not. I would have a higher level of trust if we learned about this from the White House and not from Jennifer Jacobs at Bloomberg. This is going to be a story where we are going to have to take everything with real skepticism and a real hard-headed approach to every single fact that comes out. Everything needs to be verified because the White House has not been transparent about this at all. Jonathan Swan, thank you so much and stay safe out there. Thanks, Dan. We're joined now by Mike Allen. Mike, President Trump is going to be under quarantine for at least the next 14 days. How does that impact the Trump campaign? And how does the campaign try to overcome a lack of President Trump on the trail? In his mind, the rally is the campaign. He draws so much energy from them. He loves it. He stands and he talks for 90 minutes. And we know how irritated he was when there was a bad turnout in Oklahoma. So what you can't predict is what's the risk assessment that goes into him doing it? What is the risk as far as turnout? Like all this uncharted waters. How does Biden respond? Is it your expectation the Biden campaign will just continue on the way it was with him going out, doing public appearances, et cetera? Because there have been some suggestions that, you know, he should step off the stage to a certain extent as well. We'll see about that. But what's interesting is both campaigns thought that the optical contrast benefited them. That Biden, like being very cautious with the circles that the president teased him about, keeping the reporters distant from each other, the vice president in a mask, like they were all super careful. And that was both practical. They know he can't get it. There was great concern about that. But they thought it also sent a message. The flip side of the coin, the president who wants a reopening message by going out there and what looks cavalier to any medical professional, it was deliberate. And that's really going to be rethought now. Mike, final question for you. Future presidential debates seem to be very much up in the air, but we are going to get a vice presidential debate next week. Can you just game plan a little bit for me, Pence and Harris, and particularly for Harris, who you would think has been preparing to go really hard at Trump. If he gets sick or gets sicker, does she run the risk of appearing essentially very unsympathetic about an ill individual? It really changes this. And I think that everybody was expecting that this would be the same debate that these two were going to benefit just from the contrast of the craziness the other night. But this is another way that financial crisis was won. It's very rare that the national conversation at every level from families to the White House changes overnight. And that's exactly what happened here. Mike Allen, thank you so much for joining. Dan, thanks for your coverage. We'll be back in 15 seconds to talk how this impacts the markets, healthcare, and media. Welcome back. We're joined now by Sam Baker, Axios Healthcare Editor. Sam, I'm wondering, everybody in the White House and who's around the White House gets these rapid tests all the time. Obviously, the president and several other people have tested positive. What does this tell us about the effectiveness of those rapid tests? 
but tells us that testing is an important part of the process, right? If Hope Hicks hadn't gotten tested, then who knows whether the president would have gotten tested. And if he hadn't gotten tested, how many more people might he have given it to? But it confirms that testing alone does not control the virus. Testing gives you information about who has it. If you don't do anything with that information, if you don't take the other steps required to protect yourself, then all you have is information. What I'm in part getting at is my understanding, tell me if I'm wrong, there was this huge rollout at the White House on Monday of these rapid tests over 100 million that are going to get distributed to governors. And the idea is this will help open up businesses and schools. It'll be a tool that can be used, but they don't seem to work for asymptomatic people. At least they haven't been proven to work for asymptomatic people. So is it kind of not counterproductive, but unproductive to be testing, using that as your kind of main screening test for folks who just might be coming in and out of a building? I would say it is still helpful, but it's not sufficient. You're right. These tests are a little bit less accurate. So the idea is you take one of these. If you get a positive, then you need the real test, the bigger test. And that's a pretty good triage system. It just in and of itself doesn't get you all the way to where we need to be. There's obviously been a kind of political divide in the country when it comes to safety precautions like wearing masks and social distancing. Do you have any faith that a silver lining of this could be that kind of a group of kind of hardcore Trump supporters who have viewed wearing masks as almost antithetical to their political beliefs might now start doing so? I think that really depends, unfortunately, on how bad the president's case turns out to be. You know, if he just has some mild symptoms and comes back feeling fine in a couple days, it's very easy for me to envision people taking away from that, like, see, it's not that bad. You don't get that sick, even if you don't wear a mask. Whereas if he gets really sick, then maybe, yeah, you'll start to see people say, oh, I guess this is more serious than I thought. Sam Baker, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Now we're joined by Axios Markets editor Dion Rabowin. So Dion, when the news broke overnight, stock futures went down. They were down several hundred points at the open. But you seem to be making the argument that the market's not really reacting too negatively to this. Explain. Right. The reaction is really quite modest. I mean, when you look at what's happened in the futures markets, I think the NASDAQ 100 was the biggest mover. It was about 2.5% down. But that's kind of a normal day for that index at this point. The S&P, really, stock indexes across the board have been moving 1% and 2%, up to 3 and 4% without big news events. So the fact that you had a news event of this size and the market only moved 2.5%, tells you that this isn't really a big deal for the market. And you see it across assets. Bonds, U.S. Treasuries barely move. Currencies barely move. Oil was a big mover, which was the most interesting thing. But you know, when you look across asset classes, there really was minimal to no reaction aside from an initial knee-jerk, and then things have just kind of gone back to normal. And even the VIX, the volatility index, was higher on a day a couple of weeks ago when, as you pointed out in a tweet, nothing particularly interesting happened on that morning. The conventional wisdom in stocks and markets and investing has always been that they hate uncertainty. That's the term, right? They hate uncertainty. Are we just past that now? Because clearly there's little more uncertain than the president of the United States having a potentially deadly virus. No, we're not actually. But the uncertainty is all about what happens at the Federal Reserve and central banks. And there's no uncertainty about what they're doing. The Fed is keeping interest rates at 
if the markets go down too much, they're going to do more quantitative easing, push out more money into the market, maybe trillions of dollars again, like they did in March. There is no uncertainty. And that's what matters to the market. What are the central banks going to do? What are the Fed and Jay Powell going to do? And they've made very clear what they're going to do. And that's all the market cares about. Thank you to Axios Markets Editor Dion Rabowin. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the media aspect of this story. We're joined now by Axios media reporter, Sarah Fisher. So Sarah, this is a developing story. For people who are gonna follow it over the weekend, how do they judge what sources are and aren't reliable when it comes to the health condition, not just of the president, but others in his orbit and even other people in DC outside of his orbit? Well, I do think that the official statement from the president's physician is something that the American people should trust. And so when that official statement came out overnight that said that the president tested positive for coronavirus, I do think that's something that the people can say is valid and true. As far as other sources around the health conditions of these officials, a lot of them are going to be tweeting over the next few days. We saw this with Senator Mike Lee that they test positive. I would trust what they're saying. It would be highly unlikely for some of these officials, especially when Republicans right now are trying to win the Senate, they're trying to win political races. It would be highly unlikely that they would make this step up. Might they not underplay things? We've already seen the White House yesterday not tell anybody about this. It had to get reported out before they came out with any information. Yeah, of course. There's a question of if this had not leaked that Hope Hicks had contracted it, would we have ever known? And a lot of people are wondering, maybe we wouldn't have known. I think, though, there's no way for the American public to be able to manage that. The only thing you can manage is how do you take seriously or trust what's in front of you? And I think at this point, it's unlikely that someone would lie about testing positive. So you could probably trust that those tweets and official statements are correct. Are you already starting to see any disinformation online related to this situation? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Of any time there's breaking news, bad actors use this as an opportunity to get in and sow discord and sow confusion. So we already know that there's a lot of disinformation coming out. I think one of the interesting things is that we had been working with a third party vendor to measure what the sentiment of articles about Donald Trump is online, as well as social comments online. And what we're finding is that there's actually a really big mixed reaction to this. There are a lot of people who are rolling their eyes saying, of course, the president contracted coronavirus. He was downplaying it. He's a poor leader, et cetera. But then you also have a lot of Trump supporters who have really positive reactions that are saying, get well, Mr. President, we're rooting for you, feel better. And so you have that kind of same partisan reaction to the president's diagnosis as you already do within the political spectrum in the U.S. What's interesting here, Dan, is that pretty instantaneously, this became President Trump's most viral tweet. He now, as of noon on Friday, has 1.4 million likes and almost 800,000 retweets on his tweet announcing that him and the first lady have COVID. And the reason that matters is because President Trump loves a good popularity contest. Even though most people say he completely destroyed the debate, he was lauding the fact that it got high ratings. And so even though the president obviously has this news that he's contracted coronavirus, he set his own new record, which is the most viral tweet he's ever sent. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national fried scallops day. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios recap.